Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm one of the pastors at Life Church and your host for this podcast. And we are in a series called 21 Days of Prayer. And you're going to be hearing a sermon from Pastor Nathan on a uh, prayer of lament. And this is a it's kind of a heavy one, and uh, but a good one, and a necessary one as well. Um, I don't want to take too much away from the sermon, but it was a really impactful moment. I also want to let you know that there's a, a song that he includes toward the end. He interviews our worship leader, uh, David Booth, and he talks about an experience that he and his wife went through and how prayers of lament were extremely profound and powerful. Uh, I think you're really going to learn a lot from this one. Um, it'll be one to sort of take your time with and really reflect on what's being said. also want to let you know that it's important to subscribe to this so that you can always get updated when a new podcast comes available. But also uh, go ahead and share this if you think it might be impactful or helpful to somebody else in their prayer life. And then um, we invite you to give uh, as usual um, because we think it's important to participate in generosity because it connects us to the heart of God. Um, because he is generous. He's far more generous than we could ever imagine. But also, it does make an impact. It impacts the church. It impacts the people around us, our community. And, uh, and you can find out more ways about how your giving makes an impact by going to lifechurchcanton.org slash give. And that's also where you can go to give. So uh, thank you so much for considering that. Now, without further ado, here is Pastor Nathan with Lament. Welcome online and in person. Welcome to 21 Days of Prayer. How's the discipline been going for you? Some people are on the Daniel fast. Some people are fasting. Some people are praying at different levels. How is it going for you right now? I hope it's going well. If you're brand new, you can jump in. We are spending 21 days in prayer, 21 days resting in God's presence. I've been able to jump into some small groups on Zoom and and hear about what's going on, and I've been impacted by the amount of groups that are going through this series and taking the Lord's Prayer from week one with Pastor Daniel and praying through it, and they're saying how profound it was, how incredible it was, and just moving forward through intercession, and today we'll be talking about lament. Before we get into it, if you need the resources, they are all on the Now page, including what I'm going to be talking about today. The purpose of this is not for you to listen to what prayer is about, but to engage in prayer in a brand new way. Also, Encounter is also a wonderful way for you to do that through our life journey. Now, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd love to meet you. In fact, we're going to have an in-person meet the pastor next week if you're interested. So if you are comfortable wanting to come in person, we had enough people saying, hey, I'd I'd rather do this in person than online, then please sign up. But you can also sign up for the next time we do it online. So 2021, how's it been for you? Uh, Short time into the new year, and already things are rough. Uh, Many things to lament, like OSU not winning the national championship. and getting, you know, destroyed. Uh, No, no, that's actually not something to lament. It's not a big deal. Um, It it hurts, but it's not a big deal. There are actually things that are happening right now, real issues and real problems. Now, we are in a new year, and it is going to be better than last year, but it's not just because we turned the calendar over that we aren't still dealing with the same problem. 
But speaking of a short time in, have you guys ever heard the shortest verse in the Bible? Anyone know the shortest verse in the Bible? Yell it out online. What is it? What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. How appropriate for what we're going through. And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, you may not know what this verse, what story, what moment this was in. And I want to show you that this short verse is probably one of the most profound verses in the Bible. Not because God could weep, but because of the story it finds itself in. I think it's intentional how short it is. Let's dive in. We're going to be in John. We're going to be talking about Jesus Christ. At this point, people realize that there is something special about Jesus. He has people who love him, who he has already shown up in huge ways. In John 11, 1, we're going to pick it up right there. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. They, they know each other. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, he was saying that for a specific reason because it was going to end in death, but he was trying to communicate something to his disciples so they would know later, picking up in verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Second time he said this. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wait, what? Those don't make sense. Do you ever read the Bible and go, huh, wait, hold on. He, it said that he loved them twice. So he stayed where he was knowing that he could heal them. They knew that he could heal Lazarus, and yet he stayed. He had the power to do this, but instead he waited two days, much less the travel time it would take him to get there. Travel to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Lazarus. This seems unloving, doesn't it? It seems unloving. Question, why did Jesus wait? Why did Jesus wait? I'm asking that question online and in person. Perhaps you can write down, why did Jesus wait? Scholars argue about it, so I don't actually have an answer for you. But questions often drive us into the word in a way that answers never can. But this entire time, though, I know this is true. Jesus planned on healing Lazarus. He just told us he was going to do it. To illustrate his power, to foreshadow what was to come, to show his power over death. That's what Jesus is about to do. John eleven seventeen. And by the way, I'm going to be jumping through this. This passage is chock full with amazing. I could probably pe preach this passage like 40 times and not get to the depths of it. But we're going to focus on one portion here. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Moving on to 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Jesus intentionally allowed death to take Lazarus. He let them mourn for four days, asking the questions like, where is my Savior? Where's Jesus? Where's my Lord? Where is God? See, they acknowledged the sovereignty of God, the power of Jesus And yet they could not perceive what he was doing, why he would wait, why he didn't show up, accusing him of not hurrying. Imagine the disciples who are watching him wait. Why are you waiting? Someone is hurting. This, in essence, is what it means to lament, to ask why. Why, God, when confronted by pain? Have you asked the very same questions of God? Where are you? Why are you letting this happen? Why are you taking so long? Do you even care? Do you really love me at all? These are good questions. I want to show you something so impactful to me something that absolutely crushes me every time and makes me question so much about Jesus and the mystery of who he is and what he does. So Mary shows up and falls and says, where were you? Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Says, where have you laid him? Where's Lazarus? And they said, come and see, Lord, they replied. And then he goes, and he sees the mourning and the death. And here's verse 35, the shortest in the Bible. Jesus wept. What's about to happen is Jesus is about to raise Lazarus Lazarus out of death and into light. Proving his power, proving his divinity, proving his divine plan and the greatness of who he is. We should be in awe of the mystery of how God moves and overwhelmed by the fact that we are players in his story. We often think that God is part of our story, that we're the main character, but we are not. We are part of his story and that we get to be part of it, that our lives gets to be shaped by it is something that should produce awe inside of us to know that we'll do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, because it's not about us. And yet, and yet, God didn't let the truth of what would happen, what he was about to do, keep him from mourning with those who mourn. If it had been me and I had the power to do it, I'd be like, guys, stop crying. Watch this. Why are you crying? How silly. Look what's about to happen. All this mourning, it's for nothing. That's what I would do. And yet Jesus, he knows and has the power to do, and it is his will, and yet he mourns. Verse 35, it crushes me. The profoundness that God has not allowed his omnipotence and his omniscience, his all-powerfulness and his knowingness of everything disregard our emotions, but instead lowers himself to our level. Why? To meet us where we are. What I want for you today, what I want you to know, but so much more than know and hear and listen, but to experience, to live into, 
especially in prayer, is this, that Jesus meets us in our grief and our pain and our anger. He meets us in the midst of these emotions that many times we see as negative. We often think that Jesus only wants to meet us on the mountaintop, right? When everything's okay, when I've got it figured out, when I'm here to worship and I'm like, I'm excited and I'm happy and I'm at peace no matter what my circumstances. We think that it's got to be this mountaintop experience to experience the power of Jesus Christ at the wedding ceremony or the youth retreat, at celebrations like opening up new ministries and new churches and getting new jobs. You know that feeling when you walk in and there's so much hope about what could be? We think that that's where Jesus wants to meet us. We love to experience the joy of following Christ. Amen? Isn't that true? Do you like experiencing the joy of following Christ? Amen. Yes. You should. It's good. The baptisms. In fact, we are driven by new life. That's our number one code. We are driven by seeing new life happen again and again and again. Rebirth, resurrection, that's who we are. But Jesus meets us in the desolation of our souls and our emotions as well. And maybe uniquely so there. Maybe necessarily there. So I want to speak to you about the discipline the experience, the process, the death that is lament. So what do I mean when I say lament? Lament is descending into pain to express it authentically to God. A lament is an intentional descent into pain, into suffering, to express it to God authentically for a purpose. And lament is all over the Bible. In Psalms, there's an entire book called Lamentations. It is a process that has died off in our current day, something that we don't get into in our kind of church right now. It's something that the American church has not really embraced. Well, at least the white American church hasn't embraced it that well. It's means to wail in sorrow, to weep to cry, to yell and rage and express grief verbally. That's what the word shows up in the Old Testament. It's not controlled. It's not pretty. It's not even sometimes logical. A lament experiences the emotions and expresses those emotions. And it can look a lot of different ways. See, in men, typically we think it looks like anger, and it can, but that's not a rule. In women, it can be sadness or crying, but that, again, that's not a rule. It can look like all kinds of things, but it is an experience of the emotions. In a safe environment, children seem to lament really well, at least my kids do. They all have their unique way of expressing their frustrations with life, whether it's being something like stolen from them or I'm disciplining them. They do a good job with that. One of them pouts and gets grumpy and gives me the death glare. That's my youngest. One of them, you know, sometimes kind of gets all this like rage and kind of like moves around and gets aggressive and, and, and kind of can't control and the other one just cries and weeps, right? They, they feel safe to express the hurt and pain they are in. But often as we grow, we distance ourselves from that. Now, I'm going to say this right away. Lament is a hard process, and it's only possible and only healthy because Jesus is with us and Jesus is compassionate. Lament is possible because Jesus wept. 
why I love this verse so much. Descending into the hurt is only possible because of Christ. Now, knowing that, experiencing that, I want to dive back into the story. I want to dive back into what happens next. Verse 38. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. He was moved. He wept. Once again, he was deeply moved. Came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He said, take the stone away. Take away the stone. But Martha, who knows what God can do, says, but Lord, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Beautiful, powerful, amazing. If you've never heard this story, go read the whole thing. It's incredible. But I want to point out three things from this. One, in order to deal with the death of Lazarus, they had to move the stone away. They had to expose the stink of the past as well as how it's progressed into the now. And that's the true of us. Many times lament is about the past. There are things you haven't processed, things you haven't gone through, things that you have just held inside of you, held deep. And in order to lament, you're going to have to open it up and let that happen. Now you'll hear about how that happens on your own and with people and with trained professionals later but the reality is we have to have the willingness to expose what we don't want exposed. We're not trained to do this very well. We also feel like in our culture, just move on from the pain. Stop being a victim to what happened to you in the past. Have you heard that? The problem is because of that, many of our wounds has festered deep in our hearts and digging into the past becomes even harder to do. It smells, it's nasty, and it's terrifying. Many of us have learned how to deal with it. You may say those who keep emotionally processing the past need to just get over it. Have you ever thought that? Question, do you see grief and pain as weakness? You might not just immediately say, oh, no. No, but think about it. Do you see grief and pain and feeling pain as a weakness that must be removed or pushed down? Now, lament isn't just for the past. It's for the moment. It's for the now. See, when grieving, Jewish men and women, but mostly the men, would cut all their hair off. They would cover themselves in ashes and they would put on burlap, basically, the most uncomfortable garment, loose-fitting, and they would weep and they would mourn and they would be in the ground and they would just take a week of that and just spend time just saying, what has happened? And they would process and people would come and grieve with them. They would grieve deeply and lament loudly. And often, I think there's, in our world, no appropriate place to mourn. And yet, there is the process of lament. Second, the grave clothes. 
I could preach a whole message just on that and how they had to take them off for him and all that. But I want to point out to this. Many of us are wearing the grave clothes of past hurts. We can't see. We're suffocated by it. We're limping along. And Jesus is in the business of freeing us from our baggage, our wounds, our stinking ways of just surviving through this world. See, so many of us, things have happened to us, and we've altered the way we deal with the world just to survive because we're resilient people. But resiliency isn't walking around with a limp. Resiliency is being healed and going through the hard process. Third thing that we see from this story is that the entire story is a foreshadowing of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. How Jesus would go, would, be, would suffer, would die, would be put into the grave. That he would be there for three days in the depths of the earth and then he would raise himself again. This is a foreshadowing of what is going to happen. Jesus was crucified. The pain of which, which they've calculated and they've tried to figure out, was probably beyond what most people could handle. That they would die from the pain of it. That they would die just from the agony of what he went through. He died, then he descended into death. And that desolation, that separation was real. For three days in the depths of the earth, what kind of loneliness would that be like? Now, let's just not talk about Jesus. Imagine his disciples. His disciples are with Jesus. And all they've already seen the story of Lazarus. They, in this moment, don't know that Easter is coming. There is no Easter. There's nothing coming. There's no resurrection. For most of them, by the way that they acted, this was the end. This was the end. Do you feel like you've come to the end? It was over. I mean, Jesus, his last words, his disciples heard him was, it is finished. We get to see that looking back that it was finished, meaning the sacrifice is done. We get new life, but for them... It's over. All hopes are dead. Is that not what sometimes you feel? That it's over? Have you ever been in a place where you're like, yeah, my life's over. It's done. That what happened to me keeps me from ever being healthy again. That the betrayal I felt will never let me be the same again. How can I trust anyone? Well, Jesus has been in that same place, friend, betrayed by his friends, abandoned and left to die. He knows that feeling. And even if you feel like you would drown in the desolation of descending into your wounds that you experienced in the past, or you're drowning in pain even now, even though the idea of it feels like, no, I can't do that, I won't survive it, I don't want to go there, I can't handle it. The reality is Jesus will and is with you. He wants to meet you there. I'm bringing up a whole lot of stuff right now. And I hope you're at a safe place moving into that. But I want to be real. We fool ourselves. Instead of embracing all of our Savior's experience, we try to jump from Friday to Easter Sunday to the resurrection. Do you hear what I'm saying? We want to skip the pain, skip the isolation. We want to skip those three days and jump from glory to glory to glory. 
We want Easter Sunday, but if we refuse to lament the Friday in our lives, we will miss the joy of the Sunday. And many of us are not experiencing joy because we haven't processed through our lament. So lament is the way we process grief to acknowledge the pain of our reality, the loss of your job, your career, the loss of the future, the loss of friendships, the pain you're in right now of your marriage falling apart or, or, or watching a loved one go through mental illness, a change of relationships of, in school and church. See, this church will continue to change and the past must be celebrated and lamented. But your loss may not have been processed yet and changing from another church. Many people are going to be coming here from other churches. You have got to process the pain of having to leave where you were in order to experience the joy of being here. And the same goes for those who have left here to go other places. You see, it isn't that people fear change. They fear loss. And change can come with loss. Often it does. We do not know how to process the loss, and so it becomes final. It is over. It is finished. It becomes something that we can't regain. So we keep limping along and miss the joy of the change because we haven't gone from Friday to Sunday because we can't get over the loss. And in some ways, we have not learned how to process loss as a church and as a people. Now, teachers and parents of students and students, I know right now there's so much change and it's been so much loss. I know that you probably feel disconnected right now. In fact, I know that because I talked to a small group of people who have students who are feeling disconnected. And I'm grieving that. It will get better. We will work on it, but we're going to have to process through it. I remember I had a journal in high school where I would express my anger, frustration, and depression. And now you look back and you're like, man, that dude was angsty, man. That guy was... A lot of emotions going on in that, dude. Uh, but it was good, and it was part of my process. Um, I even wrote little rhymes about teachers I hated. Um, I'm just going to be honest. I can remember the first line, uh, Tarantelli, small and smelly, and then I can't say the rest because it's inappropriate for church. I'm not kidding. I didn't, it's bad. It's horribly inappropriate. But I kept using that to talk to God and got involved in a small group where we talked through my frustrations and fears and worries, talked through having to move constantly, having to leave the place that I loved halfway through my junior year to go somewhere else that I didn't want to go to. We processed through it. I attended my church, and I grew in my faith. And if you're a student and you're feeling disconnected, join the community of people Dive in as best you can. God will get you through this together. See, a lament is descending into the pain of loss. Why? Why would we do any of this? Because you're like, why would I do this? So Jesus can raise us in joy. That is our religion, our faith. It's all based on the resurrection that once was dead can be brought to life again. I love this quote. Uh, from a woman named Ashlyn Burns. It says this, not just the loss of loved ones from this earth, 
But the loss of a relationship, a divorce, a miscarriage, an abortion, infertility, our innocence stolen, abuse, parents who never really saw us or tended to our hearts, the loss of dreams, marriage, children, an end to a career, an illness, financial ruin. It could go on and on and on. So often, when we face death, we attempt to jump from the death of Friday to the resurrection of Sunday. But it takes entering into the grief, awareness of pain, emotions appropriate to our stories. It's all part of this dissension to find Jesus, to find him, and to be the one who is the only one who could pull us out of it. We do not lament well. We're expected to get over it, to be strong, as if stuffing our emotions and walking with a limp, an emotional limp for the rest of our life is stronger than working through them, than working through the emotional rehab. And because we cannot lament, we cannot let others lament as well. We can't handle it. We don't know what to do with it. We don't think it's right. No, don't you know I've had to work through this? So, so should you get over it. But the reality is what happens is we walk around as two things. One, an emotional zombie. Well, the metaphor doesn't quite fill, but just sucks the life out of other people because we're dead inside. Or our emotions are so out of control, we hurt ourselves and others. When we do not lament in prayer, we miss meeting Jesus. Philippians 3.10 says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. We stop. But that verse says, I want to know Christ. I want the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What if we can't actually have the joy of Sunday without the death of Friday? Would you, like the Jewish people, learn to lament, to allow the anger, the despair to come up with people that can help you if it's too much? Would you be willing to embrace the pain of being human in this broken world to come through to joy? So how do we lament? The Psalms give us a way to process so I suggest that you try this out by writing them down and reading them out loud to God or in a small group. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there are three steps. One, things are not right and should be changed. Things are not right and should be changed. We may be afraid to speak to God in a certain way. Many people can't, you know, they have to say, oh, holy, righteous Father. Uh, they have to make sure that it's perfect, that our prayers are, are clean. And, and that's not the time for this. Anything that takes you out of those, those feelings that you're experiencing that you can express to God is getting in the way. See, the Father comforts his children. When my children come to me with anger and rage or sadness, I do not tell them to speak to me in the correct way in that moment. I love them. And the Father can handle it. In fact, the Father is the only one who can handle it. We strip away all the things that would draw us out of the emotion and keep us firm. You know, say like, no, 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 I'm not going to really, I'm going to talk about what happened to me, but I'm not going to feel it. Oh, this happened to me, but I'm not going to feel it. That's not lament. That's expressing what happened. Yes, and then maybe that's the first step. Second is to go into it. 
The second is this, a statement that you will not accept them this way, meaning the speaker will not accept them this way, meaning things have to change, and I don't want to see it be this way anymore. Choosing to hope in things that cannot stay the same. You're saying like, look, this can't stay the same, so I'm going to hope, and I'm going to say that this is not good enough. We're going to have to do something about this. And finally, this is the hard part for people. It is God's obligation to change things. A lament expresses to God and said, God, you have to do this. You have to change. Where are you, God? Where have you been? You've got to show up in this. Doesn't this break your heart? Put everything on God. And this one's hard for people to do. But when you do it, it places you in the exact space you're supposed to be. When you tell him he has to change it, you're actually putting full reliance on him. You are giving over control of this. And in that release, there is peace. This is where it turns. When we get it right, Jesus, when we put our full reliance on God through Jesus, then the Holy Spirit can do his work and bring comfort and joy and peace into our heart and even then point out things inside of us he's trying to change. See, we lament what happened to us, what was. We lament what is and... We lament as a community. We lament with our brothers and sisters. I want to explain this in a certain way, so I'm going to invite David to come on out, our worship director. Uh, Can you guys give it up for David? He's doing a pretty good job. He's doing a great job. Not pretty good. Great. Wonderful. Exciting. Thanks, guy. I'm so glad you're here. When, as we were talking this week, you told me a story about how you experienced lament with your wife, uh, Naomi, and I, I just wanted you to share that. Yeah, so Naomi and I had been married for about one year, and she was diagnosed with the BRCA mutation. Uh, and so one of the steps for that was to do a um, preventative mastectomy. And I remember going and talking to someone who was really close to me about it, and they said, well, it's not a cancer diagnosis. I was like, Ugh. And then a couple days later, uh, we went and talked to our small group. And we said, hey, we've got to go through a mastectomy. And they sat and they wept with us. And the juxtaposition of those two things were out of this world. Yeah, tell me a little bit about how you felt when your well-meaning friend kind of skipped over. Yeah. It, what it did is it minimized the pain that we were going through and the mourning that we were about to have um, by saying, hey, look on the bright side. It's not that bad. Uh, and our small group, on the other hand, said, this is awful. Let's weep with you. And that was profound for Naomi and I in our journey and our healing and, uh, and, and even just our willingness to be open about uh, something that usually is so private to a lot of people um, is we want people to be able to come and talk to us about it. And we've actually had friends be able to come and say, hey, I got the same diagnosis. And we just walked through with another friend a month ago. So how did that open to your eyes of the, about the role of lament in community? Yeah, what, what, what it did was it allowed for an intercession on behalf of us to say, God, there's this pain, there's this brokenness, would you lift them up? Uh, which then changed my heart towards it to be more empathetic to those in the vulnerable and the broken that are around us. Yeah. I think often um, when, pe- when people don't process, when we observe people who don't process the past or continue to process it, 
We, we get frustrated with them. And yet, there's an opportunity for us, an invitation to right. intercede. And what was interesting, um, we prepare every week, and, and you do most of the preparation. Usually. Uh, yeah, um, usually. <laughs> for songs, because I, I don't sing great. But, you I know, don't speak well, so you it's don't okay. Speak, you don't speak good. Uh, I'll so, speak good. <laughs> you do speak well. Uh, but one of the things that we ran into pretty quickly as we prepared the songs for this week is that um, there was a lack of lament songs. You know, 40% of all the songs are, are lament. And yet, in our catalog, we don't have any. Yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not the uh, abnormal church on this. This is every church that I've worked at. When you get to, like, we're going to talk about lament, it's like going through 400 songs and going, none of these are lament. Yeah, yeah and that, but, that's a challenge. And why do you think that is? We don't like to... I, Part of it is we don't like to go outside of ourselves. So we like to sing about me and Jesus. Uh, and I don't think it's hard for us to move past the blame piece on issues of lament where we, where we could have stepped in for the broken, the widow, the poor, the orphan. Uh, we don't want to own that. And that's not the point of it, of owning it. It's to empathize on behalf and to intercede on behalf for those people. Yeah, that's huge. So you're saying like sometimes we get caught up in if someone's lamenting, we take that as them blaming. Yeah. And, and which may be true in some circumstances, but instead of trying to be right and not we miss the opportunity to do something right Correct. by lamenting with them. Right? right. So we found a song, and um, I wanted to share, share a little bit about who wrote it and when it was wrote, written and, and why we chose it. Yeah, so this song is written uh, in 2015 by a man named David Gunger, who's related to the band Gunger, but it's his brother, different thing. And uh, as he was writing this, it was part of their Lent series that they were doing, and he was reflecting back on a kid as reading through the Psalms, and he would somehow skip over all of the lament stuff and only get to the joy inside of the Psalms, and that's what he got out of it. As he grew older, he looked back and realize the lament and the pain that's inside of the Psalms. And so he wrote about it. And um, yeah. yeah, this song talks about Eric Garner. And Eric Garner, um, the story is, is a man who was uh, choked to death by a police officer. And so we wanted to talk through this because yep. we know that this is a, a big issue. But I want to read the lyric for you in a moment. But this, this song is written towards God. This song is saying, God, where were you? And though some of the things being said in here are echoed not just in what's happening in our community, but in other broken things that are happening in our world, it is so crucial for us to understand that in this lamenting process, we can help people, we can intercede with people, and we can bring healing. There's time for conviction. There's time for us to grow. But this is a time for us to lament as a community. It's a time for us to move outside of ourselves, to empathize with those who are broken and vulnerable and hurting, acknowledge their pain, and intercede on behalf of them. It's not about us in the moment. Yeah, that's powerful. I'm going to read the the section that stuck out to both of us as we were processing through it. And then uh, I I want to reiterate a thing, and then we'll, we'll sing the song together as a reflection. So the the line is, and again, he's talking to God. When the man said, you are choking me, and he cried out, I cannot breathe, did your heart break? Does your heart break now? So as we uh, prepare to sing, as David leads us in this, I encourage you to, together, 
process this lament. And each of you are going to process at a different level. But we're going to do this together so that we can experience the joy of Sunday.
for help, but you do not listen. I'll cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Injustice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Father, we lament so many things in this moment, but now we stand as one church, brothers and sisters, white and black, and all the colors, God. And together we lament. Together we cry out. Together we say, God, this must end. Put our trust in you. Amen. We lament the pain of what was. We lament the pain of what is. We lament with our brothers and sisters so Christ can take us through to joy. One step deeper, though, as we finish. Tomorrow we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr., someone who understood lament and used lament to put our hearts into focus. And he said this, we are gravely mistaken to think that Christianity protects us from the pain and agony of mortal existence. Exactly what we've been talking about. We are going to be in pain, but he goes a step further. Christianity has always insisted that the cross we bear precedes the crown we wear. Meaning, 
not just the pain of what's going on in our world and in death and destruction, but also the pain of following Jesus up that hill. The pain of being part of what he is doing in our community. The cost of following Christ is heavy. The cost of discipleship is high. The cost of repenting racism is high. The cost of lamenting with our brothers and sisters is helping us move through it, but it's high. And we're paying that price. My leaders are paying that price with friendships lost and sleepless nights. I must, as your lead pastor, lament the loss of following the cross. I must lament the relationships that are now broken, the friendships that no longer are, the betrayal and the pain. How can I do that without descending into the pain of it? I must lament, and I'm on this journey with you right now. I will not be bitter. I will not be angry. I will not be guarded. I will not be numb. I will not have a heart that is calloused and walls that are up. But the only way to do that is not to push it down and move on, but to descend into it and allow Jesus to meet me and weep with me, weep with us. As I meet God and lament, I'm able to express myself authentically to my Father and invite him to speak truth back to me in love. And then he will raise me in joy. See, Jesus meets us in our grief, our pain, and our anger through lament. Diana Groover wrote a book. It's called Companions in the Darkness. And it talks about saints in our faith who struggled with depression. And Martin Luther King Jr. is one of them. An incredible book. Something that was written to help wrestle with mental health. This is what she says about lament. Lament psalms teach us to bring our raw emotion and desires to God with no filter or polishing. And how to release those emotions and desires to his care. Even before our situation has resolved, we can find comfort. We come needy and desperate, and then we sit expectantly with the solid truth of who God is. We are formed as we pray using the Bible's pattern of lament. We come away changed. We find a God who meets us in our lowest place. We enter into the sacred place where our emotions, pain, and circumstances collide with the character of God. So the question is, how do I know I have lamented? When you come out of that moment, when you have expressed it as best you can, and you feel God's peace come into you, his comfort come into you, and you are reminded about his sovereignty, how big he is, how in control he is, and how submitted you are to him. It is a beautiful, beautiful feeling. So here's how I'd like you to do this, because this might be something new. I'm going to have three ways you can lament. Lament on your own. One, you can buy that book. You'll have a link on the Now page to learn about how some of the saints dealt with their depression, especially if you're dealing with depression. But no matter what, there's also a link to a wonderful article that talks about how to pray through the lament psalms. 
through protest, petition, and praise. That'd be one way to do it on your own, to look that up, because praise is so important part of it. Second, lament with a community. I want you to join a small group, a life group. In fact, there's a table outside right now because community is what's going to get you through this, to learn to lament together, to pray together, as so many are doing. And then I'd encourage you, small groups and life groups, that you write out these steps and then read them aloud to each other. And the steps are, and again, they'll be in the now page, things are not right and should be changed. The speaker will not accept them this way. It's God's obligation to change things. Now, this is not pretty language. This is raw and real language, just so you know. And then end in worship as a community, like we're going to end in worship in a moment. Finally, you need, some of us need to lament with a counselor or a spiritual director. Some of these gravestones that need to be pulled away unearth things that are from the past, and you need someone to walk with you to help you through that in a healthy way. I want you to listen to Adam Young's three-part series called How Healing Happens, where he walks through the concept of Friday to Sunday with our emotions and then set up a time to process pain with a counselor. Will you stand with me? Will you prepare your hearts? Some of you, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. And I hope that you hear is that he's the only one that will help you get through this. He's the only one who can meet you in the pain of where you're at because he is God, because he sacrificed for you, because he is making your relationship with God real. And for some in the room and some online, you need to reaffirm. It's time to say, no, I've got to rely on God again. I need to return. And today you're going to reaffirm your commitment to Christ. Others, it's the first time. You've never followed Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as your rescuer and your friend. And he wants to meet you not when everything's okay, when you've got all of your stuff together, but now in the hurt and pain and the desolation. So I invite you to pray with me, to talk to God because he's here and hear what he has to say back. God, we worship you. And for those who want to recommit their life to Jesus, who want to commit for the very first time, I pray that you'd be with them in this moment, that they would say out loud or in their heart, make these words their own as they give themselves over to you. Meet them where they're at. And I pray something like this. God, I need rescued. God, I'm hurting. And I believe Jesus came to rescue me. So today I choose to accept that gift. I choose to follow Jesus to meet him in my grief, in my pain, and in my joy. Make me clean. Make me new. Secure my act, my eternity in you. And I will follow every single day. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. Um, We hope you uh, grew and learned a lot from this particular sermon. Uh, We hope you're moved as well. Um, This is being recorded the day before Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so um, I hope that you are able to take some time to acknowledge the work that's been done, uh, but also the work that still needs to happen in the area of justice and, and unity in the church. Um, make sure to connect with us by going to lifechurchcanton.org slash now. 
and you can fill out a connect card and, uh, and we can help you take your next steps. Hope you enjoy your day.